As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Today on the show, we talk a lot, but we've forgotten how to listen, and that's a dangerous thing, as was proved recently in the Bay of Bengal. Welcome to the future, where the glass is half full and you'll need new glasses, where you'll be jumping from conclusions. The past is enough, and a new future is before in history has so much meant so little to so many AD so do you know what I feel incredibly lucky to have in my life jazz music and no this isn't about to be some extended diatribe about why everybody should be required to listen to Oscar Peterson's we get requests the moment they hit the ninth grade although that would be great wouldn't it Well, I think it would. I mean, you have all these albums that are required listening the moment you get into high school And you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? Doesn't matter what year you get into high school, those albums seem to have remained the same for years and years. Oh, you're in the ninth grade? Here's your denim jacket. Here's your copy of Led Zeppelin IV. Here's your copy of The Clash's Combat Rock. Here's Bob Marley's Legend. Go forth and be young. I don't know why. I don't know why that is. But it's funny. I talked to a friend's kid the other day. Just hit the ninth grade. What are you listening to? Man, really into Zeppelin right now. Zeppelin? Led Zeppelin 4? Well, I mean, all of it, but yeah, mostly Led Zeppelin 4. No kidding. <laughs> A record that came out long before your father was even born. And you're way into it. It's incredible how certain music transcends generations and is just synonymous with youth. And, you know, that record collection grows, that youthful record collection grows... As time passes, albums get added to it. In addition to The Clash and Zeppelin and Bob Marley, now people listen to Nirvana's Nevermind. Now people listen to Green Day's Dookie. And for some reason, these records, I think it's because they so capture what it is to be young in so many ways. These records speak to a person when they get to be 15, 16 years old. They just do. But I digress. This is not a discussion about why Oscar Peterson's We Get Request should be added to that list, although it really freaking should. Unbelievably great. Just so amazing. If you're looking for a gateway drug to jazz, Oscar Peterson's We Get Request, well, you couldn't go wrong there. But no, I feel very, very fortunate that jazz came into my life when it did. For a reason that actually has absolutely nothing to do with music. Because jazz taught me to listen. You see, I was, supposed to, I was supposed to go to college to become 
a jazz and classical percussionist. I played drums since I was like four years old. My mom is a cellist. And she said, hey, I never wanted you to be a musician, but if you are going to do music, you are going to be trained to do music. You're going to be schooled in it. You're going to have qualifications so that you can go and teach so that you will be able to make a living as a musician. This is a tough road to hoe. And one of the ways that you can make it a little bit easier is by getting a real education. So I got this scholarship to go to New England Conservatory of Music and study to become a jazz and classical percussionist. That got derailed when a screaming punk rock band I was in when I was a kid got a record deal. But I'd already decided I didn't want to be a jazz musician. I love jazz. I loved jazz at the time. I loved playing jazz. Oh my God, it's the greatest. But I went to a club in England called Ronnie Scott's. Ronnie Scott's is a, leg a legendary jazz club in London where I grew up. And I remember... I don't even remember who the headlining act was. I don't remember who the opening act was, but I was kind of stoked to see the headliner. And the opening act was some guy who seemed to be the better part of a hundred years old. And he was there from America saying, hey, I'm really glad to be here in London playing for you people. And at the time, I think there was about five or 10 of us in the audience. And I remember thinking, ooh, that doesn't seem good. I mean, obviously the guy's getting to travel and go places and do stuff, but if that's how you make a living by going out and playing for five to 10 people every single night, well into your 60s or however old the guy was, that didn't seem like a good move. So I sort of decided then and there that I didn't want to be a jazz musician. But the training that studying jazz gave me, even though I didn't go through with getting that degree, was really important for a reason that had absolutely nothing to do with music. See, jazz, in many ways, is all about improvising with the other musicians that you're playing with and playing off of them. And I remember I had this great jazz workshop teacher when I was in high school, a guy called Fred Maxwell, who I don't know what he was doing teaching high school jazz. He played with folks like Dizzy Gillespie, and I think he did a stint with Steely Dan as well. He was a really accomplished jazz trumpet player. And I think he's still out there playing but i remember he told me he was like jazz is a conversation and all this practicing that you've been doing all that wood shedding that you've been doing learning how to play your instrument all those scales if you're a drummer all those rudiments all those paradiddles all those mixed sticking triplets all those exercises that you've been performing for years and years so that you can be more proficient on your instrument those all mean nothing if you want to play jazz and you don't know how to listen he said, everybody wants to t open their mouth and talk, but nobody wants to listen. Same could, be, same could be said for jazz music. A good jazz musician knows how to listen, knows how to pay attention to what's going on around them and play off of that and add to that and bring something more to that. Being brilliant, being a genius, having something that you want to say musically or having something you want to say well, it's meaningless in that situation if you haven't first listened. And so I learned at a very young age how important it was to listen before you spoke. Whether that was musically speaking or whether that was in life. And it's an invaluable thing. Because right now, the vast majority of the population of planet Earth 
is eager to be heard. But there's a lot of people that in their eagerness to be heard and their eagerness to feel like they've got a place in the world in their search for significance. There's a lot of people that aren't doing a whole lot of listening. And I've always thought listening was important. I've always thought that we kind of fall down when it comes to being good listeners for a bunch of different reasons. But there could not be a better example of why it is so vitally important that we learn to listen better than we have been than what happened over the last couple of days in the Bay of Bengal. You may know the story, you might not, but it's one of the most crazy and fascinating things that has happened in a very long time, and it's important that we unpack it. We'll get into it next. Real Radio, 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 Radio. 104.1. Where the left and right come together for fundamental truths. AD on the radio, on Twitter at ADSXE. So like I said, I'm really incredibly grateful that I had jazz music in my life. That I continue to have jazz music in my life. But I'm really grateful that I learned how to play jazz music. And I'm not that great. I certainly haven't played drums in a long time. I certainly haven't practiced drums in a long time. But there's one thing that has stayed with me, and that is knowledge, I suppose, that it's important to listen. Everybody has something to say. Everybody wants to stand up and say it. And you're kidding yourself if you think that a musician isn't one of those people. People want to say something with their instrument. They want to get up on a stage and perform and play. They want to do all these things. They've got some, stu some stuff on their mind and in their hearts that they want to express to the world. But the only way you're going to be effective at communicating all that stuff, if you're a jazz musician, is by listening. Like I said, I had that one jazz workshop teacher who taught me it's so important to listen the most important part of playing a musician, musical instrument is using your ears, listening to what's going on around you, adding to the conversation that's in place without getting in other people's way, without bulldozing the situation in a way that makes the whole greater than the sum of the parts. Listening so vitally important. And he taught me that was true, not only in music, but in life. Listening's vitally important. And like I said, we've all got something to say. We all want to stand on a soapbox and shout something. Maybe it's a product of social media. Because when you think about it, if you've got a group of friends and you sit down and you have dinner, hey, how you doing? How you been? How's everything going? What do you want to eat? Oh, this is good. You like this? Yeah, I had this. Oh, where'd you have it before? Oh, you went there? Oh, that's great. That's how you start a conversation. Nowadays, <laughs> people because of the way we started communicating on social media, start conversations. I'm sorry, I've held my tongue long enough. I just have to get this off my chest. And if you don't like it, feel free to no longer be my friend. It was a weird way to start a conversation. We're, we're kind of losing the art of conversation because we're not doing a ton of listening. We're all eager to express ourselves, but we become very bad at paying attention to what other people think and feel. 
And we become even worse at feeling like it matters. We've got to listen. And this crazy and unbelievably fascinating story is a perfect example of how we, as a society and a culture, need to listen, need to pay closer attention to what's going on around us. Like I said, it's crazy and fascinating. We are, of course, talking about what happened on a remote island in the Bay of Bengal. Indian officials still are trying to retrieve the body of an American missionary killed by an uncontacted tribe on this remote island in the Bay of Bengal. These officials, and I'm sure you've been following this story somewhat, but these Indian officials have repeatedly traveled near the remote island where this American missionary was killed by this uncontacted tribe. But authorities still don't know how they're actually going to get on land to recover his body. This missionary, a guy called John Allen Chow, he's 26, he was killed while he was trying to make contact with North Sentinel Island's Sentinelese tribe, which has been known to attack outsiders with bows and arrows. The information was there. I'm sure this guy was very well-intentioned. But it didn't go well when he attempted to make contact with these folks. Director General of Police on the Andaman and Nicobar Island groups, a guy called Depender of Patak, he said about the tribe, they are a treasure. We cannot go and force our way in. We don't want to harm them. Now, visitation to this island, North Sentinel Island, is heavily restricted by the Indian government, and contact with the Sentinelese tribe who lives there is actually illegal in order to protect their indigenous way of life and prevent the spread of diseases. Like I said, they're, they're uncontacted. They do not have vaccinations. They do not have all the protections of modern medicine against modern diseases. So they've got this sort of unimpeachable ecosystem and you disturb it things could go badly wrong which is i think part of the reason why they're so aggressive toward outsiders scholars believe the the sentinelese are descendants of africans who migrated to the region about fifty thousand years ago the tribe survives on the small forested island by hunting fishing and gathering plants now when chow went there and they saw him they, rela- they reacted in a really angry manner. He attempted to speak their language and to sing worship songs. Here's the thing. No one has been able to successfully speak the language of the Sentinelese people. He went there illegally. Chan was illegally ferried by fishermen. He was illegally ferried to the island by fishermen before taking a kayak alone to shore. The fishermen wouldn't even take him all the way. He went alone with a kayak. The fishermen reportedly saw the tribe burying this guy on the beach. Several of the fishermen involved in helping Chan travel to the island, as well as a friend who helped organize the boat trip, have been arrested. This past Friday, just gone by, a boat carrying police and other officials approached the island watching the tribe through binoculars. On Saturday, the tribesmen were armed with spears and bows and arrows, but they didn't attempt to engage the officials. 
Now, this guy's remains are as yet unrecovered. Authorities say they haven't given up hope on recovering Chan's body, but they're moving very cautiously. And they're taking cues from what happened when two fishermen drifted onto the island back in 2006. The Sentinelese killed the fishermen, buried them on the beach, and then dug up their corpses and propped them upright. Those bodies were never recovered. This guy, part of the local authority, says we are consulting anthropologists to see what kind of friendly gesture we can make. Now, on the one hand, it is crazy and it is fascinating because, well, this is an uncontacted tribe. This is an amazing look at what happens when a tribe that migrated there 50,000 years ago remains unaffected by modern civilization. So gosh, you do really want to see what's going on there. But at the same time, this lack of acuity when it comes to understanding what's going on around us is perfectly summed up by this guy that wanted to talk, did not listen to the signs around him, kayaked to the island, trying to speak the trying to sing religious songs. Now, I don't know what this guy's motivation was. I really don't. Maybe he felt duty-bound to bring the word of God to these people. I, I don't know. I can't possibly imagine. But I do know that there are many signs around him that would dictate, this is a really bad idea. It is not something you should do. And I think, and this is not to pick on the missionary who very sadly lost his life. This is not to pick uh, or, or besmirch the memory of John Allen Chow, but this is to point out, we as a society have become so hell-bent on what we have to say and how it could benefit other people. And this idea that we're right and everyone else is a moron and if only everybody else would see things from our perspective, we could all get along a little bit better that we've forgotten to take into account. There's other people with other lives and other perspectives that we don't understand, that we know nothing about. And we're not all in danger of being killed by a Sentinelese tribe who are worried that we're coming to spread their disease, but in a metaphorical sense, we need to be awfully careful in a way this guy wasn't about opening our mouths before we wander in to a conversation that could be damaging to all of us we should start by listening for more stimulation and less irritation 9 out of 10 doctors choose KPRC AM 950 Houston's more stimulating talk radio don't get the blues get all the news we mean all of you guys out there in radio land all aboard He's back. AD on the radio. It is weird though, right? It is weird that this missionary, John Allen Chow, the man who was killed by the Sentinelese tribe on that remote island in the Bay of Bengal, it is weird that he felt it necessary to wade into this situation. 
And I think, like I said, it is indicative of the fact that we as a species, especially in the digital age of communication, where we're all searching for significance, we're all looking for a place in the world, we're all looking for that little dopamine hit of people liking our post. We all want to feel heard. We all want to feel like we've got something to say and other people are listening. But that's a problem. We're not doing the listening ourselves. I think so much of the lesson we learn by looking at what happened in the Bay of Bengal can be applied to our daily lives. Guys are famous for doing this with girls. I mean, oh, what's the book? Something about the languages of love or men being from Mars and women, women being from Venus or something like that. Guys want to fix it. A lot of the time, these books that we read would tell you women don't necessarily want their problems fixed. They know how to fix them. They want to talk about how they feel because of their problems. Men, in our idiot, moron, knuckle-dragging sort of way, if the woman in our life comes to us and goes, I'm sad because of this thing. Let's say it's a situation at work. I'm sad because this thing happened or I'm upset because this thing happened. Well, what you need to do is do this. No, no, no. Dumbass. I say to myself when I make the same mistake over and over again, she doesn't want you to fix the problem. She knows how to fix the problem. She knows what she has to do. She's there because she wants to talk to you about how she feels. And you're just negating her feelings by offering a solution before she's finished describing what's going on. We want to do this so often. It's not just limited to men and women. People want to talk before they want to listen. I'll give you another perfect example. In the last year or so, I've sort of gotten into shape. I mean, I was in really, really bad shape before, like horrible, the worst shape of my life. And the whole being out of shape thing didn't really bother me. But I have to say, the emotional aspect really did. I was hideously depressed this time last year. And a lot of it had to do with my inability to manage an enormous workload. I still have the same enormous workload, but what I had to do was I had to get in shape. Or at least I had to exercise. I had to go back to the gym. Back in the day when I went to my shrink, when I was dealing with all sorts of similar, similarly depressed situations, he gave me an option. He was like, well, I can either medicate you or you can exercise. You can commit to going to the gym and working out. And I was like, ooh, exercise or medication, you say? He was like, yeah. I was like, I'll take the medication, please. And he was like, ha, huh, here's the thing. Y you should try the exercise. I was like, well, how is that similar to medication? He's like, because dummy, and I'm your doctor, I'm telling you this. Um, there's a lot of the same serotonin reuptake inhibitors that your body releases when you exercise vigorously. Like you run on the treadmill for 20 minutes. That's some of the same stuff that your brain is pumping into your body that you get from Prozac. Problem is a lot of depressed people can't get off the couch to do the exercise. So that's why we prescribe, prescribe the Prozac. But I think you could get off the couch to do the exercise, don't you? And I was like, yeah, but exercise is hard. I would like the medication, please. And he was like, well, here's the thing. I've listened to your show. How important is your personality? And I was like, oh, gosh. 
sort of sort of pays a mortgage, I suppose. And he was like, yeah, this medication, if you wind up taking it, could potentially change your personality and could hurt your ability to pay those bills. So want to try the gym? And I did. I reluctantly went into the gym. And oh my gosh, the physical changes take a while to come. But emotionally, it's like night and day when you start going to the gym, just completely differently. And I was dealing with some of that this time last year. So I got back into the gym. And I've been in there pretty consistently, uh, three times a week or so for the last year. And little by little, things have changed. Like I said, the emotional stuff took place almost overnight. The physical stuff, well, you know, I guess if I'm thinking about it, maybe I lost a pound a week or so for the better part of a year, something like that. And what's interesting, I noticed, I noticed something about this. Nobody around me, Nobody around me noticed any change. This is like people I work with every single day. Nobody around me noticed any kind of change until uh, about week 30 when they're like, hey, what have you been doing? All of a sudden you're in shape. I was like, I'm exactly the same as I was last week. Yeah, I just noticed though, like it seems like overnight. It, it wasn't, it was 30 weeks of, you know, paying attention to what I eat and going to the gym and okay, all right. And then what's interesting is people notice this. And other people that are looking to get into shape have been coming up to me left, right, and center. And this, this has actually taught me something very interesting about human nature and people's willingness to listen. I've had people say, can, can, can I make an appointment with you to come and talk to you about how to get into shape? I want to know exactly what you did so I can do it too. Is what you did difficult? No, it's not. It's pretty simple, actually. Well, I, I want to know. Can I come and talk to you? Yes. So people actually made, and this is freaking laughable. But people have made appointments to come and talk to me about getting into shape, health, and fitness. And uh, I follow a very, very simple plan. It's extraordinarily basic. Literally anyone could do it. It just involves, you know, some consistency, I suppose. But there are some stuff. There, it's not completely self-explanatory. There are things that I, you know have agreed to take time to explain to these folks that come to me wanting to know how they too can get in shape. And you know what? It's made such a massive difference in my overall state of mind. I'm more than happy to share. But what I've noticed is people come to me and say, okay, what do I do? I start to tell them what I've been doing and they cut me off and they interrupt and they go, well, what if I change this? Or what if I change that? Or what if I eat this? Or what if I don't eat that? What if I did? And it's been fascinating because these are people that really, really want to do something in their life. They've carved out time in their day and my day to come and ask me how I'm doing this. And then when I try to explain to them, I have difficulty getting through the sentence. And you know what? I see now, I see now why personal trainers and whatnot make the bucks that they do because it takes a lot of work, I think, to keep people focused on something as simple as it is. But it's an amazing indicator of how little we like to listen and how much we want to talk. And a person not being willing to listen got himself killed because he was eager to talk. I know no one else has contacted this tribe. I know it's illegal, but I am going to be the person to go out there and talk to them. And now his life is over, and that's tremendously sad. And like I said, there's a lesson. There's a lesson in this for all of us. In this digital age, 
We struggle for significance. We struggle to feel heard. A lot of people will tell you that things like Brexit, things like Donald Trump getting elected, when nobody said it was possible. I'm not coming down as pro or anti-Trump on this thing. But I will tell you that the secret to Donald Trump's success was being able to make people who felt forgotten feel like someone was paying attention to them and was hearing them. We all want to be heard, yet we don't want to listen. And that's dangerous. As this missionary taught us, that's a dangerous place to be. We're all looking for validation, but first we have to learn to listen. We have to know what's going on around us. These vastly different political viewpoints that we've been conditioned to believe that we have, they're not so different. We don't talk to each other in the way that maybe we used to. We scream and yell about how we're feeling and about what's right for us. But people on the left and the right, I think nine times out of 10, when you get right down to it, when you do a show like this one, which attracts people that listen from both sides of the political fence, when you really talk to people, when you really listen to what they have to say, when you really hear them, you start to understand that you, me, all of us, we all want the same things. Said it time and time again on this show. What do we want? Well, we want a roof over our head. We would like to do work. We would like for that work to provide security or at least a sense of it. We would love it if that work was meaningful to us in some way or another. If we have kids, we want our kids to have a real shot at having a life, a life that is maybe better than ours. These things are universal. People on the left and right, because they don't talk, don't realize that we're all after the same things. We just have some different ideas about maybe what the best way is to get there. But if we slow down and we learn to listen, Maybe we could all get there together faster. So you and I will get into the events of today in our segment, My Witness News, in just a little bit. Right now, though, I wanted to talk to you about going on vacation. Right around this time of year is when people start thinking about vacation. Either you want to get out of the cold, so you're planning on going somewhere in the dead of winter that is warm, or perhaps you just need a little bit of time off. You've got that end of year burn, so you're starting to plan your summer vacation for when the kids are off and you can all go somewhere and do something. Now, 
I was talking to a buddy of mine about this. I was like, I need a vacation. He's like, oh, what do you want to do? Man, you should go to Mexico and go surfing. That would be awesome. I was like, well, first and foremost, I don't surf. He's like, well, you should learn. I did it my last vacation. It was fantastic. You can paraglide. You can surf. You can do all this stuff. It's fantastic. And I was like, no, no activities no first and foremost don't surf i'm horrible at taking vacations i actually can't remember the last time i went on vacation anytime i manage to travel or get out of the country it seems to be because someone is either getting married or dying and uh, it's sort of like one of those things that i must do in life and i should be better about that i should be better about going on vacation but the idea of going on a vacation where there's activities no no a vacation to me involves as little movement as possible as is supported by the great Sebastian Maniscalco. Even the way we do vacations is different. My wife loves activities on vacation. I don't like that. I like to go, my idea of vacation, you eat, you drink, you lay down. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I don't do tours. You sign up for a tour with the 16 strangers. So we planned the vacation, went to uh, Turkey. I, I, it was two years ago. I recommend it, not now. <laughs> Even two years ago, it was volatile. We're watching the news, a bomb went off next to the hotel that we were gonna stay at. So we became concerned. I called, I called Turkey. <laughs> I called the hotel, I go, hi, uh, we're a little concerned here. Just saw that a bomb went off next to the hotel, and the guy's like, no, uh, come on, it's to the side. It, <laughs> what? No, it, 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 they don't come here. We are eating tabbouleh, and we are dancing in the street. I go, people are on fire in front of your hotel. Is it safe? Is it safe? I've got another friend who insists I should go on a snowboarding vacation. He loves to snowboard. He's like, oh man, you got to come snowboarding with me. It'll be great. I was like, here's a problem. I've never snowboarded before. Don't know how. Uh, you don't want to be encumbered by a beginner. And also, oh yeah, I have no interest in learning how to snowboard. He's like, why not? It's great. It's so much fun. I was like, lots of things are great and so much fun. But snowboarding is one of those things you got to do uh, when you're a kid. A grown man beating the crap out of his 30s, learning how to snowboard. This is not good times. This is something that you need to do from childhood to be able to enjoy as an adult. And he was like, come on, you could do it. Can you ski? I was like, yeah, I've skied in the past. He was like, and you know how to skateboard? I was like, yeah, I've been skating since I was a little kid. Absolutely. He was like, and you BMX and you rode motorcycles. You did all that stuff. I was like, yes, I did all this stuff. He's like, so you ski, you skateboard. You've got all these other things that would have given you a decent center of gravity. You could take to snowboarding like a fish to water and have a great time. You should do it. And I was like, no, no snowboarding, no snowboarding, not interested. Not only do I not want to learn how to snowboard at this advanced stage in life, I also, well, don't want to do anything whilst on vacation. A theory that is supported, further supported by Bob Marley, who had this to say. I also tried snow skiing. You ever tried the snow skiing? I went up to the Sugarloaf. <laughs> My friends dragged me up there. The day I went, another skier got grazed by a bullet. There were some hunters in the Guy got grazed by a bullet. He, turns out he was okay, but here's a little tip for you people. You ever gonna go skiing? 
and there's a guy sitting next to you with an orange vest and a shotgun. Time to go in for a cocoa. They're talking about packed powder. This guy's packing into a rifle. All right, let's take a look at the events of today in our segment, My Witness News. First and foremost, did you see that ATM in Houston? You're probably familiar with this if you listen on 950 AM KPRC, Houston's more stimulating talk radio. But an ATM in Houston started spitting out $100 bills instead of tens this past Sunday just gone by. Someone posted about it online, so people started lining up at this ATM. Eventually, cops dispersed the crowd and the bank shut down. It's illegal to take money from a malfunctioning ATM, but get a load of what Bank of America did. The bank will be sending them letters to return the money back. That's what we thought. I mean, ATMs have video of transactions, timestamps. Federal law even says you got to give it back. I mean, this seemed like a no-brainer. You have to give the money back, right? There's no free lunch, and if you receive money that you know is not yours and you refuse to pay it back upon demand, you can, at the discretion of the district attorney's office, face possible theft charges. But Bank of America, perhaps in a somewhat puzzling goodwill gesture, says the folks can keep their ill-gotten gains. The official Bank of America response, quote, this was an incident at a single ATM in Houston caused when a vendor incorrectly loaded $100 bills in place of $10 bills. We have resolved the matter. Customers will be able to keep the additional money dispensed. So there you go. A Christmas miracle, courtesy of Bank of America. Who would have thunk it? NASA's InSight spacecraft landed on Mars yesterday after traveling 300 million miles. What a time to be alive, right? It's there to drill into the surface to find out what's below and figure out if Mars ever supported life. Here's the moment that it touched down when all the NASA engineers still weren't sure if it would crash or not. My favorite part, the lady in the background laughing like a maniac for no discernible reason. 30 meters. 20 meters, 17 meters, standing by for touchdown. Touchdown confirmed. (laughs) Make it that way you will. In other news, Justin Bieber, who is stepping back from his musical career, has gone on the record saying that he would like to be more like Jesus. Yeah, Justin Bieber said he wants to be more like Jesus. Hmm. If by that he means disappearing for 2,000 years, I'm totally for it. Kim Kardashian has gone on the record saying she was on ecstasy when she made her sex tape. Really? Thought his name was Ray J. Nah, <laughs> I kid. The upcoming Aquaman movie will feature Julie Andrews of Mary Poppins fame. Hmm. New Aquaman movie will feature Julie Andrews. Not to be outdone, the upcoming Mary Poppins sequel will feature a lame B-list superhero. Aquaman. I can talk to fish. I I never, as an avid reader of comic books back in the day, and also as someone who loved going to the ocean, who loved snorkeling, who like, there's got to be people that are way into Aquaman, and I have no problem with that, but I I never, never quite, yeah, I never quite got it. Mostly, I think, because at the crux of the matter was the fact that you take Aquaman out of the water and his ability to solve a problem diminishes significantly. A trailer for the Lion King remake is out. Thank you, Disney. But I'm waiting to see the remake of this remake of the original remake on ice. (laughs) Jaleel White, the guy who played Urkel, get this, is 42 years old today. Yeah, happy 42nd birthday to Jaleel White, who played Urkel. 
Hard to believe he's that old, right? Oh. At least now the high waters and suspenders make sense. Corderell Patterson of the New England Patriots. Uh, yeah, he's the guy that was in the grabby-grabby situation. Cor Corderell Patterson of the New England Patriots is still defending himself after grabbing the crotch of an opposing player. Uh, now I think he's saying he just wanted to see if the guy's balls were deflated. And in one final piece of news, President Trump has referred to himself as President T in a recent tweet about falling oil prices. Yeah, President Trump referred to himself as President T. Uh, let's just hope somebody steps in before he starts calling himself T. Diddy. Have yourself an awesome night. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.